Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. As our newsletter has shown, we have a lot of fans in a lot of places around the world. Yeah, some would say too many places. Some Too many fans, too many places. Who would say that? Uh, you want to know what? Those out there, you know who you are. You know who I'm talking to. Who, why are you pointing at me? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, to be honest. Talking. I just love the fact that places like Dubai and... Uh, New Zealand and Australia and Toronto and and other places in Europe have reached out to us to make live shows happen. And I'm excited about all those things. Yep. But I do want to give a little love to our friends here in the United States, places that you wouldn't think love It's the Real. And let me make a personal plea for any fans in and around Oklahoma City to get in touch with us. Oklahoma City? Jeff, I have a new... <laughs> And uh, significant crush on the capital of the state of Oklahoma. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, our brother Dan went there for a bachelor party. He went to go see uh, an Oklahoma football game mm -hmm. and, and enjoy everything else that goes on uh, around the greater Oklahoma area. Yep. He had some Taco Bueno. Boomer Sooners. And uh, our friend Greg... Greg Mayo also recently flew down through Oklahoma City and spent a little time down there. And um, its formation and the next 130 years, just about, of its history is not only fascinating, but bizarre. And um, I'm not exactly sure what goes on there on a daily basis, but <laughs> I think it would be awesome if we went down there and played a show, I think it would be awesome if we had just this pocket of very rabid It's the Real fans in the middle of the Great Plains, <laughs> Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Wait, I, I do want to bring up the fact that you are reading a book about Oklahoma City. Yeah. Oh, did I not mention that? No. It's called Boomtown. It's written by Sam Anderson, and I have it right here in my hand. And I went to Amazon, and I bought it, and I'm so glad that I did because I can't put it down. And what's one story that like really gets to the, the crux of how crazy this book is? Well, I, I think the one that maybe caught my interest the most was the fact that this was a property, a, a territory in the middle of the United States, untouched by anyone. And word got out that the U.S. government was going to let people grab land, do this land run, and 10,000 people from around the world showed up to stand around the edge of the property outside of what would be the state line and at the gunshot or bugle call or yell at noon, which, by the way, was sort of uh, a... a an arbitrary? Yeah, an arbitrary and undetermined time, you know, when the, when the sun was straight above. So at noon... Someone said, okay, go. They dropped these lines and 10,000 people, some of them on foot, some of them on bicycles, some of them in covered wagons, <laughs> all rushed to, to grab their piece of land. And, and as soon as they could strike down posts and markers, that was it. There was no city planning. There was no mapping. There was no thought. <laughs> so it was like capture the flag. It is stranger than fiction on every possible level it is about their weather it is about their basketball team it's about their government it is about trying to become a world-class metropolis jeff i want in 
I want to go to Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is just wait for the gunshot, and then you can claim your land. If there are any fans of It's The Real in or around Oklahoma City, please reach out to us. Bring us down there. We want to do a mega live show in Oklahoma. Isn't Ivan out there? I feel like he might be in Texas. But regardless, Ivan, reach out to us. Let us know. Yeah, Ivan, round up another 300 people and we'll come out there. Let's go. ITR in OKC. Well, speaking of wild American stories. Yes. This is a hell of a transition. Speaking of wild American stories, we've got one of the most wild Americans on our podcast today, the photographer Clay Patrick McBride. Clay Patrick McBride, one of the great hip hop photographers. You know his work with Jay and Kanye and Fat Joe and The Locks and Lil Kim and Indian Larry and on and on and on. And he's somebody who didn't find his artistry until maybe college. He was a a lost kind of metalhead in upstate New York. And once he was clean and sober and got his hands on a camera. He looked through and he saw his future, which took him all over the world, specifically to Paris to study from the the uh, teachers who studied from Impressionists. And he found his way back to New York and photographed himself a bunch until he, he saw who he really was. And then he was comfortable enough to bother the people at Vibe Magazine and XXL Magazine and and get his work out there on the pages. And you guys will know some of his most famous shots, maybe the Jay and Kanye one that was the JFK and RFK one that we have hanging up on our wall. Maybe it's another photograph of, of Lil' Kim in a hot tub. Or maybe it's Eminem up in Detroit or Kid Rock or the Red Hot Chili Peppers dressed as the uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Or Rick Ross. Rick or Ross. the Locks. I mean, there's a million photos. They're all great. They're and, all great. And he is a great storyteller, a fascinating guy. His Metallica story down at Bonnaroo is great. And there's one moment in here that we talk about with Joel Santana where our paths cross about a decade ago. It's a great episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Jeff, do you have three more that you want to suggest to the people to listen to based off this episode right here? Yes. If you want to hear Clay Patrick McBride's story and you want to hear it in context, you should also listen to someone else who is a photographer who's been on our podcast. Number 117, Johnny Nunez. Johnny Nunez, who traveled the world with Dame Dash, was chased around at different times by Old Dirty Bastard and Colin Powell. Colin Powell. (laughs) Colin Powell. We talk about (laughs) growing up in Brooklyn and escaping to Long Island and witnessing Suge Knight and Jimmy Henchman's beef and shooting Sting and Mick Jagger and Harvey Weinstein and Jay-Z and just everybody. Johnny Nunez, you know you're in New York when you've seen him run around with a camera. Just throwing a camera in your face and, and clicking <laughs> flash a million times. Episode number 117. Also number 51, Mary H.K. Choi. Shout out to our friend Mary, the New York Times bestselling author. Woo! Mary H.K. Choi. Episode number 51, you know, Mary whose family moved from Hong Kong to Texas when she was just 14 years old, grew up to be the editor of her own magazine called Misbehave. She was working at Mass Appeal. She worked at XXL. She worked for the New York Times. She interviewed everyone from Khloe Kardashian to 50 Cent to DJ not... Khaled. 
to yeah to DJ Khaled to not Rihanna. Yeah. And she shares all those stories in a great episode, episode number fifty-one. Also, episode number two twenty with Russ Bankston. Yo, shout out to our guy Russ. I was shocked. He was shocked. You were shocked. Everybody was shocked that it took so long to get Russ Bankston on this podcast. But when we did, my friends, it was very worth it. Almost two hours of podcast. That's like like two episodes of a podcast. Yeah. With the guy who was the editor-in-chief over at Slam Magazine. He was a senior editor over at Complex Magazine. He's worked with everybody from Kevin Garnett to Allen Iverson to DJ Clark Kent. To Clay Patrick McBride. To Clay Patrick McBride. Kobe Bryant. And so many more. Go check out that episode, episode number 220. Well, before we get into this episode, I just wanted to send a special shout out um, and this is like me getting my Casey Kasem on. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to send a special shout out to Ramon Arredondo. Shout out to Ramon. AKA Toxin Gamer Night on YouTube. All right. And also his father, Ray Ray, and Andrea and Joel, his brother. You know, he's a great kid that never gets in trouble. Always brings home A's and B's. He's 13 and an aspiring YouTuber. Love to hear that. This is all from his father, Ray Ray. All right. I do want to say that there are times when... The world can feel at its darkest and it can feel like you're very alone. And I just want to say that both of us, all the way out here in New York, um, we heard from you and your dad. And we just want to say that we're here for you. And we're sending our love and good energy your way. Keep your head up. Keep listening to uh, friends and family. And occasionally, your two friends out here in New York, love to all of you guys out there in Arizona. Jeff, when you want to get into this episode? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Fucking with the Movement, a.k.a. Galileo. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Knocking the Boots, a.k.a. What are those? <laughs> oh, and it's Clay Patrick McBride, <laughs> a.k.a. Casey McBreezy, a.k.a. Clyde C.P. McBee. This is McBreezes. Yeah. Yeah, this is your third favorite podcast, A Waste of Time with It's The Real. Clay, what's happening? Oh, yeah, happy to be here, fellas. So, recently, I was the most privileged to purchase a print from you of my favorite photograph, the only thing that I wanted on my wall for the last 15 years, and that is Jay-Z and Kanye West from 2004, that unforgettable issue of of XXL Magazine when Jay-Z had become president of Def Jam, and he had all of his closest signees on the cover uh, with him, along with LeBron James, and you shot that, and I have it hanging on my wall now. It is... Our wall. Our wall now. <laughs> yeah. <What>? And <laughs> it is still timeless. It is obviously an ode to RFK and JFK. And it's just the most beautiful photograph. What does it mean to you who is on the other side of the lens? All right. On. Thanks. Um, thanks for buying the print. Thanks for having me. Um, this picture is important because it was 2004. It was before Obama. It was like alchemy. You know, I feel like I put a black man in the White House. Yeah, know, yeah, before, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before it's time. And, uh, <laughs> right, I white think, men don't get enough credit. Yeah, <laughs> it was uh, super radical uh, to be a part of. You know, it started off very small. Um, I got a call from Sally Berman. She was the photo editor. She's an awesome woman who uh, hired me quite a lot at XXL to do a lot of work for them. And she I'm said Jay was becoming president of Def Jam and that they wanted to do something to commemorate it. And they wanted to do a typical shot, um, like the Chris Rock, vibe cover where he's at the podium, all the microphones, presidential seal, a couple flags behind him. And I had uh, spent a lot of time with this cat named um, Eddie Adams. He was a very famous 
Pulitzer Prize winning war photographer, took this picture in Vietnam of someone getting assassinated. Everyone knows this picture. It's the guns out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the guy's eyes are closed. Um, so Eddie Adams had a picture, had that picture by um, Walker, photographer for the New York Times, I think at the time, or Time Life magazine shot it. And I would look at it, and I knew it was JFK, but I, I didn't grow up with JFK. Like, he was dead before I was born, I think. And But it was part of, like, our social consciousness, and it was just such a heavy photograph. So when they said president, boom, that picture was on my mind. And that, the other thing that was on my mind was this idea of Camelot. You know, the JFK represented this new era, and I think Jay represents this era of black wealth and affluence and a position of power that uh, is truly a role model for somebody to come from Marcy Projects and roll all the way up to the CEO, the boss. And I wanted to recognize that. And I also want to recognize the power of like relationships and how shit was being passed down between one another. And Kanye was not yet the, the mega star that he was. And so I snowballed it, you know, and I, I actually presented some mood boards and treatments and pictures. And I was very into like this storytelling, very influenced by photojournalism and very inspired by what's real. You know, mm-hmm. this show is called It's the Real, right? <laughs> yeah. So I was, I wanted to keep it real and make it believable and not this like, I think that's the best part and why I'm a good match for hip hop because I keep it real. You know, yeah. like I just, my work is stripped down and honest and the music is because I didn't grow up with hip hop or anything like that. And, but it just matched well with my aesthetics, right? So I pitched this and it just happened. We got some money from the kind people. You have good relationships with Def Jam. Mm-hmm. They flipped the bill. They, we built an entire Oval Office set on Pier 59 Studios downtown. It was built in a day, photographed and torn down in a day. I wow. got a great prop stylist, this cat named Ethan Tobin. Um, he's gone on to do great things in Hollywood with uh, all sorts of production design for movies. But this is, I got him early on, you know, at the ground floor, and he got all the furniture, everything 100%. And I would not compromise. For some reason in this job, you know, usually you have to compromise something because of budget, because of your step, you know, just something needs to go. The label doesn't agree, or the photo editor pushes you. This time I was 100% driven to do it. Exact. So when he showed me a desk, I was like, no, that desk sucks. Look at the desk again. Look at this picture. And he got it. And I was like, no, I want George Washington and Abe Lincoln. I want those two paintings. He got it. You know, he just got it. I don't know. It was beautiful. I feel like the stars aligned for me, you know, and like luck is something you make, you know, and I'd done a lot of jobs for, De- for yeah, Def Jam and XXL. And I was in a position where the people trusted me, you know, it just didn't step into that it was like a lot of baby steps to get there did jay and kanye and freeway and Tierra marie and i mean did everyone trust you yeah uh good question um it was so kind of rushed and hectic you know we had everybody had their own hair makeup styling right and the reason why def jam flipped the bill is because they used it as a media circus we had BET there, we had like MTV there, we had the wire services like AP there, we had all the media there behind me. So I'm like in front of a live audience of, you know, I want to say it was 50 people. Yeah, you're right? performing and, while and you're... Then, and then including publicists and entourage and, and just bodies, right? So there's all these people and that doesn't bother me. I like I like a crowd, you know, I'm <laughs> like I want a lot of attention. So whenever I'm there, but what was hectic was just we had an insane shot list People had to come and go really quick, you know. 
We looked into trying to do it at DC or some of these places where they have a set, like the Oval Office set is mm -hmm. there for like different TV shows and stuff, but we couldn't align everybody's schedule. So, you know, there were some moments where Jay just started calling the shots, you know, in this <laughs> voice, like this Jay voice I never heard before, you know, like this director voice, you know, which was like, it made sense. You yeah. know? I was like, all right, let's let him do that, you know? Um, so... Yeah, I find that, you know, most people I've worked with in, in hip-hop, professionals, you know, and me coming at them, they look at me, they, they get it. I look like an artist, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I talk to them in a respectful, kind voice. I look at them in the eye. I say, you know, let's do this. I'm here for you. Like, that's something that uh, is very disarming, you know, when I just say, yo, I'm here for you today. I'm here to, you know, tell your story to make you look good. Th that just has a way of people letting the guard down. And then if it gets a little static i just say i'm just trying to feed my family yeah, yeah you know like yeah i'm just here trying to eat you know like this is this is how i eat you know and then people understand like oh okay this guy this is a job and he's got people so so that that has a way of just you know you got to kind of debase people and um i have a way of you know just a way of being that i embarrass myself a lot when i'm photographing people i yell i scream i do all that like cliched photo shit yeah that uh you know, yeah, history, Camelot, <laughs> you know, like all that kind of, yo, um, just like making it big and loud and trying to scream over the music that's there and <laughs> and and just bringing it. But what was uh, really awesome is I, I had this moment, I was just shooting Jay, I was sitting at the table with him, it was just me and him, and I was like, yo, why is LeBron here? <laughs> you know, like, By the way, that's our question too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, and I'm like, are you going to manage him or something? Because I guess it was, and he was like, I got reach. <laughs> that was it. You know, like there was nothing after that. It was just, I got reach. And I'm like, so like, he's like an accessory or like LeBron James, like possibly the most accomplished basketball player. But LeBron, I shot since high school. Well, right. You know, so I, I mean, that cat I knew and, and uh, Kanye I had a relationship with. So I always bring prints to people, mm -hmm. freeware photograph before I did. Um, when Jay was talking about retiring for King magazine, uh, this guy named Evan Gubernick and Daytuan got this idea to do a tribute issue. And um, so I recreated all the historic J covers, most of them Jonathan Manu covers. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Jonathan. Yeah, big shout out to Jonathan. Come on, got to respect him, who holds the archive of J. We had a show together down at the Morrison Hotel not too long ago. Right it, was, on. it was nice. Um, we were co headliners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, there's a headliner. You know, like, who is it? Uh -huh. I think it was him, but he had a bigger picture than me, so he won. Um, King Magazine hires me to recreate all these covers, so I, you know, I did Reasonable Doubt with Dame Dash. I did one with Freeway. I, this guy comes, and it's Kanye, and my assistant at the time was like, yo, this dude, gonna be huge. Wow. He knew, right? This Jewish kid, Idan Gottlieb from Queens, <laughs> all right. right? Yeah. Um, he knew that... Uh, that Kanye was gonna go. And he was like, you shoot the hell out of this guy. And so I did. And he was, you know, really into the clothes in a whole different way, really into, he had these funny sneakers on. <laughs> and I, I just kept thinking like, what the fuck happened to his jaw? You yeah. know, like I didn't know his story. I didn't know he had all that reconstructive surgery. I was just looking at his face because I look at people's faces. Yeah. And, uh, and I wanted to kind of like, I don't know, just show it off a little bit. It looked like he was beat up, you know, or like a buck 50 across yeah, the face yeah, yeah, or yeah. something like that. So, you know, I wish I had known more about him, but sometimes you just step into weird things. And that was a day, again, I was shooting um, 
many photographs in a day. You know, you have this crazy shot list working for magazines, needs, and then you have schedules and you have people that want to leave as soon as they get there <laughs> and people who are laid. Oh, we did Kanye like the unplugged. So he's sitting on the drum kit. And we wanted to get Questlove for the background, but instead we just got some dude with a fro. <laughs> Questlove was supposed to come through, which I was really fired up about. Yeah. You know, a good afro is, makes a good picture. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so when LeBron comes to set, you recognize him. You, yeah. Does he recognize you? Does sure, he remember? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your, your experience with him while he was in high school like? Uh, when he was in high school, he was willing to go that extra mile. I got him with his shirt off. He had a platinum chain on. I had him doing a crossover. I edge lit it, you know, he looks slick as hell. He's kind of scrawny, yeah. you know, he wasn't the, he grew into being a man and then he lost all that weight. So he's been kind of, his silhouette has changed, mm -hmm. you know? So I got him then and uh, uh, he still had tattoos and stuff, which was cool, you know, in high school, he still tatted up. Um, for a young kid, I, sh I photographed him with uh, Sebastian Telfair mm. and, and they're both really big prospects and it was for Slam mm -hmm. and so it was again insane shot list shoot 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 you know get all the shit done and uh, not really chatting you know like so tell me about you know Cleveland you know none of that you right. know? Mm -hmm. many times since then I photographed him and it's been like that it's been a job it's I don't really try to bro down with a lot of people I photograph I, I don't think I need to mm -hmm. you know I don't need to like I want them to be, I want there to be a certain level of almost tension between us, you know, like who's the artist here, you know, who's the superstar, mm -hmm. you know, I, I want them to kind of question that. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot to uh, overcompensate that with a lot of rings and jewelry and tattoos <laughs> and a loud voice and, you know, sometimes flashy clothes, evil Knievel pants, stupid shit, smoke and mirrors, whatever I got to do. So you tell them that you were the headliner and that Jonathan yeah. Mannion was the co-headliner? No, no, Johnny definitely headlined that shit. He did, so yeah. were you always the, the loud dressing, tattooed, spiky hair guy or? I mean, like, um, I mean, metalhead growing up, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Orange, Where did you grow up? Orange County, New York. All right. Um, so near the Woodbury Commons. Sure, yeah. yeah. We're from okay. Westchester, West so you're Chester, further up. Yeah. Yep. So there in Sullivan County, those places, you know, not a lot to do there. No, you know, I was, yeah, punk rock in high school. You know, I went to a Catholic school. They'd send me home because I dyed my hair pink and they'd <laughs> ask me to straighten it out, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, you know, rebel without a clue. Do you right? come from, do you come from a religious family? <laughs> uh, not religious, but I had some problems in high school and Catholic school was another school that I could kind of, you know, check out for a while. Sure. You know? Did you, did you play music in high school? I played guitar, never really publicly, usually in the bedroom or the garage with my friends. In college, I was in a band for a minute with a very talented friend of mine, Chris Temple, who was in a band, Lincoln. And, but I just didn't have the chops. So how, did, how does music find you? Did you have any oh, siblings? Well, yeah, you? yeah. I mean, the 70s were a great time for music. I had older brothers and sisters. I hung out in their bedroom. They cleaned pot on 12-inch records. You know, like I just watched them clean weed. Yeah, yeah. Brown... CD weed <laughs> on these records. Sullivan County weed. Yeah, yeah Sullivan yeah. County. And they yeah. would, you know, they were part of the Rock Hill Bong squad or <laughs> Bong team. They even had like cards like RHBT, <laughs> Rock Hill Bong team. Like they were just potheads. <laughs> and, you know, they were like hippies, but there was no protest or anything for them to do. <laughs> right. So they just smoked pot and drank Jack Daniels. Yeah, they were down with the movement. Yeah. yeah. And these were, yeah. yeah, these were my role models and, uh, you know, El Caminos and, just, oh man! Yeah, kind of just like white trashy, and I wasn't that. I mean, my family was was definitely 
better off than most people up there. And my dad was a very successful trial lawyer and mm. my mother an interior decorator. So I love music and, and I love music. Eight tracks, you know, I remember my first eight track was the cars, wow. uh, debut record. I love that. And, and cheap trick. And I was into kiss and the Beatles. And it seemed to me like the most worshiped art that was close to the people around me. You know, it was, and it, when I say worship, it's like there was, the record player was like an altar, you know, and people would go there and they'd like lay down their record on it and this careful little thing of putting the needle on it. And usually around the record player, there was, you know, incense and there was bottles or there was like just this place of great intention, you know? So that was, it was spiritual. Like you asked me, was I religious? Like I think music was a religion to me and, and my experience escaping into music as a misunderstood kid with bands like Metallica and and punk rock, like the Dead Kennedys. Yeah. Like it just gave me a place to go to where I felt a lot of comfort and I felt understood in a place where I didn't feel understood. If it's a big place or a small town, but you know, seemingly a big place that where you feel misunderstood, how do you connect with other people who have similar interests? Or were you just by yourself? No, no, definitely um, I'm people people. I'm not like a lone wolf cat. I wish I were. It seems so much more romantic. But like, <laughs> I like people, and I like fun, and I like driving around fast in stupid cars. With, you know, driving fast in cars that aren't fast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what we did upstate. Burning out engines, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and that, park. that Oldsmobile. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, man. Um, with Robbie McCran, um, <laughs> his father sold Oldsmobiles. Yeah, so you know, I hung out with the kids with similar interests in music. You know. Uh, at the mall, video games, you know, still playing a quarter for them and, and playing, you, you know, I would, all of that was such a part of my childhood. Going to the mall, playing video games with my friends. I was into magic at the time. My okay. brother's a very successful magician. In Las Vegas. Yeah, he, yeah. And he has a school, a mystery school, so he's an educator. He's rad. He's like the Michael Jordan of magicians, Jeff McBride. Uh, McBrideMagic.com if you want to go into the labyrinth. Yeah. So I was into magic and I, uh, oh, that's a... Yeah, that's interesting. I, f I photographed the cover of that book over there. Which one? Mark Moran. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. With the cat. So not yeah. One, not yeah, one yeah. of my best pictures. Oh, all right. Well. All right. Anyway. <laughs> Shout out to Mark Moran anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's such a cool cat. <laughs> yeah. Um, And the king of podcasts. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I used to hang out with this guy named Mike, Mike Morgan, and he was a clown. And I was a magician, and we were both into metal, and... We do magic shows together and whatnot like that. Wow. You know, we get in some trouble and we get in a lot of trouble, actually. <laughs> Me and this guy, we were, you know, we were just messing around, fucking with a lot of drugs at the time. You know, that was another place that I found a lot of comfort, you know, in this small town. Like it was a small town, but you could still drive 10 miles and get into some real dangerous stuff. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what was the plan to get out of town? Oh, yeah. I mean, or did you feel like you would forever be stuck in this small place? I, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. And eventually I ended up in this weird boarding school with uh, a lot of kids from Long Island. And they all came to the city. Mm -hmm. And I started coming to the city with them and experiencing the city, experiencing the village. Around you know? what time? This is like 85, 80, 85. That's not New York City today. No, it was no. definitely you got out of Times Square and you saw a shit show. Shit show. Of just, you know, it was the triple X theaters. It was men in dirty raincoats, you know. I remember walking across 42nd Street and there was a nude man wearing only socks, naked, head to toe, crying, saying, give me some effing money. Like that was one of the, you know, right off the train, 
crossing 42nd Street in the middle of the crosswalk. Well, that's not any different from now, except that now they just wear an Elmo costume. <laughs> right. No, now, yeah. now, now the naked cowboy actually wears underwear. So, yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm talking like just this crazy, yeah, so crazy stuff like that. Yeah. So was, you come into the city for what? For just to experience everything that you couldn't get at home? Yeah, and definitely better stuff, you know? Yeah. A lot of better stuff, you know, better music. Um, so it was experiences. You experiences, yeah. Um, yeah, East Village, you know, record stores, finding records you couldn't get upstate, you know, like really crazy Black Flag records, just good stuff. Um, uh, and and just the vibration, you know, like there was no vibe where I was. And it, it's I go there now and I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> it's just really smooth and soft and and solitary quiet. yeah quiet quiet yeah. you know i mean and, um but up, up there they do have orange county choppers yeah that that is so true. there is a yeah. culture there yeah. <laughs> deep <laughs> so who were you creatively back then uh well, i did this magic shit you know i was into that i was into well were you good i got good at it and then mm -hmm. i got a, i realized that it was my brother's thing mm -hmm. and i was just kind of doing it because i thought that that's how Maybe you, you got attention from my family and recognized by my family because yeah. there were literally all these posters in my house and my brother. We had a, like a pool room, billiard room, and, and it was like a shrine to Jeff McBride. I thought like, wow, maybe that's what I got to do to get some respect around here, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then, yeah, I got pretty good at it. I did, you know, I went to Magic Camp. I did some weird shows here and there. Uh, Are there girls at Magic Camp? <laughs> or is it just all dudes who just <laughs> they're like can you be the assistant today <laughs> there are a couple women there um it is the most awkward think about who the hell wants to do magic right comedians are weird right, right? sure actors are weird yeah right? but magicians whole different like <laughs> genre you know if magic wasn't going to do it for you i also was in plays i was in theater i love mm -hmm. that i love being on stage um I really loved that, you know. I, I was in some some plays and thespian shit, and that crowd of people like doing Monty Python. They do Monty Python skits verbatim, yeah. And I was just blown away by their uh, their energy, you know. In Goshen, when I was in Goshen, there were some kids there that were just unbelievable, yeah. So you come down to the city and you find a bigger community of, of people like yeah, you. Yeah. Did you stay down here? Uh, no, no, not for a while, you know. Uh, Probably like 87, I spent a summer here. Um, Magic camp. No, no. <laughs> that was always like somewhere like in the Borscht Belt or Long Island or some remote Siberian place, you know. <laughs> Too powerful of, of a culture. To, uh, so I moved around for a while. Uh, from 87 to about 90, I bounced around. New Jersey, and I moved to a place called New Hope, Pennsylvania, and it was there where I was in a thrift store with a friend of mine, and I said to him, I picked up a camera, I said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to become a photographer, and I don't remember the moment, you know, but I bought this, you know, camera, a lot like the one I got today, like a Pentax K1000 film camera, and... So you had no formal training? No, I mean, I know this, I lived in an apartment building with this very rich woman, she was a photographer, she had pictures all over the staircase leading to my apartment door. I'd walk by these pictures every day and I'd think, there are no people in them. And I thought, why would you take a picture with no people in them? It just didn't make sense, you know? And I also thought, like, this is a rich woman 
who's burning money, who's got, you know, I shouldn't diss her so bad, but um, I just thought she was no good and that I could do it better. And then I just, I oh, guess they were decided, her photos. They were her photographs. Yeah. Yeah. She photographed a lot of stuff in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I was very close to Philadelphia at the time and I would go to Philly a lot and that was great. Nightclubs, after hours, getting weird down there. What did your parents think of you at this time? At this time, I had straightened up. You know, I had gotten clean. You know, part of that, like, I guess, like, 87 to 90 was, like, you know, rehabs, halfway houses, and and, uh, getting off the trouble. I was really in some some terrible trouble. So they're super supportive of me doing anything but ending up in trouble again. You know, so I'm... Dynamite father who could have done some tough love shit and kicked me to the curb. Or been the trial lawyer and put you in jail. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're funny. You guys are sharp. So so you pick up this camera Mm -hmm. and you say you're going to become a photographer. And 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 that's it. Well, how how much was the the camera? I don't remember even buying it. You know, it's I thank God my friend was there to tell me about it. His name's Derek and, and we're still really tight. He lives out in in Brooklyn, um, dear friend, uh, who I met in Shreveland, who was the guy, he was that guy who I wanted to be, you know, he was like young and cool and good looking and he was funny and like he was running after chicks and and I was, he was the first young person I met who was like clean and sober that I wanted to hang out with, you know, like everyone else was such a fucking herb, yeah, right? yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> I did not want to mess with him, you know, so I started going to, uh, Bucks County Community College. Okay. And I had a great teacher there named Judith Taylor, who's passed away. And um, I took some basic... And when I saw the print come up in the chemistry of the darkroom, it was intoxicating. You know, a lot of people share about it, but it was such a magical experience. Because you made that. Yeah, to bring something into the world. Like, it was almost like a witch and a cauldron and, like, stirring a pot and this spell coming out of it. You know, it was just this magic to it that... It was a different kind of magic, you know, and it was alchemy. There's silver in there. There's, it's alchemical. So, yeah. so that had me. And then this woman told me that I was good at it. And I don't know if I was good at it, right? But she said, you should study this. And I was at a point in my life where I was lost. I didn't really know what to do. I was studying business in uh, this community college. I dropped out of high school. So I was just trying to get a good GPA. And, and I, got, I got a GED. And I was going to a community college to get into college. And once I heard that you could study it, and I was like, well, where do you do that? You know, She's like, oh, you definitely go to New York City. And I was like, oh, I love New York City. She goes, go to like Parsons or SVA or NYU. Yeah, or, simple as that. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Just go. go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, gone. So I studied in South of France for a year. Uh, what? I studied, yeah. I How? Just, that's not SVA. Uh, yeah. That's not NYU. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd already committed to this year abroad thing, or it was six months abroad, and I ended up milking it for a year because I was having a killer time, <laughs> you know? And, and I studied in this town where Cezanne painted and Van Gogh mm. painted. It was called Aix-en-Provence, right? Yeah, sure. And it's a big college town. It's like 60,000 college kids there. And that was right. It's our Penn State. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was dynamite. Except it was filled with like, you know, so many different muses. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All that you know, and discotheques, and it was a great time. And like, there was a lot of English music, like the Stone Roses, that was danceable and rock and roll. And I was just having the best time. Um, 
could you speak any French? I did. I learned French. Wow. Right. I still speak it kind of poorly, but I could speak it well when I was there. Yeah. You know? Oh, like immersive. Yeah. I felt like I could never really be myself in mm -hmm. another language. I was always just kind of clowning, like trying to be me, but I couldn't. Right. You kept saying fromage, and people were like, "Please stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go home. Fromage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what did you learn over there? Like, like photography wise. I had a kid. My, my grandmother died, and she gave me ten grand. And I spent it all on this camera. I bought an olden camera down on 34th Street. What was it? It was a um, Mamiya 645. Okay. It had a Polaroid back. It was a medium format camera. It was Boss. Yeah. And uh, it was like a small cinder block. I carried that thing all over <laughs> Europe. I took some of the worst pictures I've ever taken. But <laughs> I, I think you have to take 10,000, 20,000 bad pictures to start taking one good one, you know? Um, and I hung out with these nice kids. One of his John Withers, his father invented the post-it. This kid was loaded. He had um, an Austin, like a Mini Cooper. We drove everywhere in this thing, like to Prague, to wherever the hell we wanted to go. We would just get in this car. On the weekends, we would split. We would drive into another country. We would just go bananas, or we'd jump in some trains and go to some other places. Um, we had the best time. We were so, and I kind of knew that it was never going to happen again. You know what I mean? Like I knew that this time in my life, I didn't take it for granted. I, and I've always wanted to go back to this part of France and I never have, but I almost never want to, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it was perfect. Yeah. And my memory and experience of it was perfect. So I studied painting there and, uh, I had some great, these old like expat hippie teachers there and they were very into impressionism and they encouraged us to paint very fast. And I wasn't a great painter, but I enjoyed the process, the oils, the mixing the paint. The, we'd go out into the landscape with these backpacks and a loaf of bread and that was class. You were out there for six hours, you painted, you came back, you dried your paintings, you talked about them with these hippies for a while and you went home. And it was like the best school ever. And those teachers were rad. And one of them told me like, he looked at my photographs and was like, oh yeah, you're a great photographer. And people just kept green lighting me to be a photographer. And I was like, really? Cause I, okay, all right, <laughs> you know? Well, looking back, do you think that you had promise or? I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there must've been something there cause I kept hearing it, you know? And I, I was doing it a lot. And Did you have a point of view at that point? No, it was just, you know, buildings, architecture. I definitely like... No people. No crust, people. <laughs> crust, crusty old man, you yeah. know. If I could get, like, some toothless old man, you know, right. close up, I was in heaven. You're like, he's so interesting. Yeah. 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 What's his story? That's that real Parisian shit right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Bocce players. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. playing bocce, shooting sure. from behind. I would go to Washington Square Park and shoot the chess players because they didn't move, you know. Yep. <laughs> they were just locked down there, you know. It was easy to compose them. Just you, know? you and your medium format camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say you took from the Impressionists when you were, you know, spending time in? Uh, yeah. uh, the Impressionists, you know, it's like... Um, They're okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing we did was we went to Van Gogh's room in the Nuthouse and we looked out the window that he painted Starry Night. Yeah. You been there? No, our parents did. And, uh -huh. and it's our mom's, right? Mm -hmm. That she would look out at the, the 
uh, the lavender sort of like fields and all that. And, and you could see the paintings that yeah. he painted. And yeah. you realize those colors are real. He's not mad. You know, they're really <laughs> yeah. there in the south of France. Yeah. He was eating his paint. Yeah. Weird, though. <laughs> and I mean, he cut off his ear. But, you know, yeah, I'm sure uh-huh. he was on the straight and narrow. Yeah. So I definitely take a little bit of like, because I have a Van Gogh. I really love his letters to Theo. And I, I'm a madman. <laughs> yeah. Like literally, like I got pedigree papers to prove it. You know, like I come from a long lineage of mad Irish folks. You know, so I have that psychic baggage, whatever that baggage is of the hot-headed Irishman, is with me. You know, and um, and so, but what did I take from them? You know, I took the process of painting, right? You know that. I can't sometimes get so attached to the results that when you paint and you mix color and you look and you smell the turpentine and you're in the moment, process is just as beautiful as when you're finished it. And you know, I had a friend who was a dancer, and if she only enjoyed the performance, she would not enjoy her life because most of it was rehearsal, right? So pro- process is is a great thing, and I think I took that from them, you know. And did you did you pick up any tricks in terms of like processing your own film? No, not until I started at SVA. That's where it got real. And so, was, so you came back yeah, to the city, started SVA, SVA, yeah. and and that's where you start doing like photo collages. No, and, that took a minute. Yeah, okay. that that I just started. You know, uh, portraits. I really wanted to get into the studio and work with light. That was very important to me. I really liked certain photographers. Like at first, I liked Robert Frank and sort of legendary sure. street photographers. And then more and more... That was, was like, you in France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was more like Avedon and these lit portrait sort of things. And and when I saw people working in the studio and I saw that whole situation, to me it was like a laboratory. It seemed so mysterious and, and I wanted to get in there. I wanted to demystify it. I wanted to be empowered by those tools. So I bought a strobe. I actually bought a strobe and had it in France. I had a strobe, so I was already using lit photography, but I... I didn't really know what I was doing. I'd shoot at the wrong shutter speed. My pictures would be all fucked up. I'd, but isn't that the I'd, art of it? <laughs> I, yeah, I had to figure it out. Not really. Like, if you shoot at the wrong shutter speed, only like a quarter or a half of your picture comes out. That's my aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. it's like, uh, <laughs> you're like 50% there. Yeah. That's you. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So you sit down at SVA and you're, you're a student once again. Oh, I, was, uh, I wanted to be a career college student yeah well sure but but is there any idea that you could do this professionally and and what do you want to do do you want to sell it to a gallery do you want to photograph for magazines i don't think they talked about that enough it's in my art school you know it was do it for the art yeah i was just making and learning composition learning learning how to print good pictures learning i guess building a confidence in how i approach a subject because a lot of times your head's so far into the camera's ass, like you have your head firmly inserted into the camera's <laughs> anus, right? And you're so you're buried in in thinking how the camera works that you forget that like, oh, yo, what's up? Uh, how you doing today? You got kids? You know, like talking to somebody, sure, and and engaging them because you're like, oh, the mechanics, the f-stop, the shutter speed, the ISO, and once I started to get that into muscle memory, and I could work on some other things good things started to happen. And the collage thing happened later. It's like, I believe, you know, I was like slavishly imitating Irving Penn and I took a picture of my father and it was just like as good as any picture. It was like with a four by five, you know, large format camera and really well lit and you could see all the pores in his face and it was perfect and it was 
completely empty of any real style. So I was pissed at it, and I had a number of these negatives, and I, I cut them up, and I taped them together, and I put them on the floor, and I stepped on them, and I, like, I was angry. And, and I put them in this negative carrier, and I printed them again, and it was like, whoa, right? I'd learned techniques. Techniques, my friend Gregory Heisler says they're like gloves, you know? When I did this, like, black magic, Gen X voodoo to the negative of my father, I had fingerprints, you know? It was like no longer gloves, they were like fingerprints and I had style, and it was real timely. Like that's how the 90s looked, you know? They were scratchy, they were edgy, it was, the Gen X aesthetic is, is you know, kids are so romantic for it now when they see my archive and they're like, whoa, how'd you get those colors? What'd you do? I and put I'm a like, filter on it, yeah. Analog, you know, it's all analog, it was all with my hands, you know? So that's where there was a great moment. And then I started to realize that I didn't want to hang out in galleries with people in turtlenecks and <laughs> have like very highbrow conversations. Like I remember the moment MTV came on the air. I was more influenced by music than I was by, you know, anything else. And I wanted to be a part of the music business. I wanted to be a part of those. Do you remember Tower Records? Sure, yeah. yeah. Okay. You remember those four by four windows that were like stained glass that were backlit? Yeah. Right? So I wanted to have a photograph there. That was to me, that was the, the goal, right? The goal was set right there. I wanted to be a part of that landscape on the wet city street. I wanted to see my picture like reflecting in the pavement, you know? And how do you, how do you get there? Oh, it, <laughs> it, um, I don't really know if it ever happened. I heard that there was a picture of Nora Jones in one of those windows years later. I never saw it. I never photographed it. Or maybe I did and I don't remember it. I don't have the best memory. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that's about. Well, but if you don't photograph it, did it happen? <laughs> yeah, that's what my wife says. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't post it to yeah. your stories. Mm. Yeah, you right. Know, you yeah. Know, then it sucks. Well, do yeah. you hang your own photographs in your spot? In my home? Yeah. I have the picture of my dad, the mm -hmm. one that started it all, like, uh, I have a collage of that that I made for his like memorial service, um, mm -hmm. and it has some of his report cards and shit. It looks a little bit like that. You yeah. know, it's like got some other bits and pieces of him. I have a picture of the retro kids. You know the retro yeah. kids. Yeah. Okay. I remember them. Okay, so they're like '90s enthusiasts that with the flat yep. top. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And so, they used to hang out outside of like you know uh, like NYU's like McDonald's basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but it like looked like 1992, just like on one block. Yes. And what was, they would also be like party promoters. And I yep. think they had some music and stuff like that. But I photographed them for a source fashion story because they came perfectly styled. But yeah. then we put them in some clothes and they look like salt and pepper and they look <laughs> like all these other folks, right? So I photographed them in Thompson Square Park, like as is with their old like cinder block phones and boom boxes. And this picture I really love because it's, it doesn't look like it was taken. I wasn't working in that Jamil Shabazz like time period of hip hop. So I'm nostalgic for its history. And it looks like it's part of that history. It's totally believable. Except that there's like, you know, a 2008 BMW next <laughs> to them. No, but there isn't. It's so perfect because it's Thompson Square Park and it's a panoramic and you only see like some trees and buildings behind them. Yeah, that that's hanging in my house. And I got a picture of Nas from D&D wow. studio where, because my, my wife loves Nas and I made it for her. It's 40 by 60. and Wow. I wouldn't have oh, it. Just a small little thing. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have it, but like she loved Nas and, and I was like, I'm gonna give her some Nas. That's dope. So and then it moved with us. So when uh, do you like first take a picture of someone and know that there's no 
separation between you and, and the person like because the camera can be like a bit of remove for you mm-hmm. right like yeah. when can you see into that person's eyes and understand who they are yeah one one thing i did in an art school is for a year i only photographed myself i didn't photograph anybody else i decided that i was going to shoot self-portraits for a year is that easy or hard oh it was fun you know and i did crazy stuff i have a picture of myself naked in the middle of Times square at night begging for money yeah, yeah wait no. you're that guy yeah. <laughs> hold on oh you so Tafu said you were gonna do that shit. You're just gonna take something from nowhere and bring it back. It's magic. Yeah, That's right, yeah. Yeah. So you guys are good like that. No notebooks. No yeah, that. nothing. Um, whoa. So yeah, like more like the Messiah than a crackhead, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> more like David Bowie than sure. like just some random dude who's trying to get into the crack rock. You know? So uh, I and I did other things like I would put pantyhose over my head and I would pretend to rob a bodega. And I would shoot me like I would shoot it off the computer screen of the the monitors, you know. Yeah. I would um, wait. Were the bodega people like aware of what was yeah, happening? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, you have your bodega family. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like my bodega family. I go in late at night. They let me do whatever I want. You know, I I went to. Uh, by the way, shouts to the police who drove by who were just like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> I went to a gay bar like where there were go go men, and I got like on a go-go cube and was dancing <laughs> and there were like all these old men like looking at the chicken dancing on you know so i did that i did what you set the camera on a timer wherever i you had go? a buddy help me this oh, guy okay, mike gotcha. warholic he's uh he would just come and push the button i would balance it and what was crazy is i was shooting transparency film which you need to be within a half stop accurate and i was using a flash and i was shooting at night and i was shooting a lot of mixed light situations and i was getting ninja at my craft like I was doing a lot of things that were, you know, just sophisticated technical things that were just becoming a part of my muscle memory, my playbook. And because I was shooting myself, I could, I was always available. I, and I, you know, I looked like I was beat up and have vampire blood and have somebody look like they were curbing me on the side of the curb. I was just trying you to know, just like fun, casual, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or I just be kicking it with an old man at like a Blarney stone, you know, like, yeah. and near the corned beef, like, <laughs> Steam table, you sure. know, you and it, your people, yeah, yeah, exactly, with my people, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> eating that forbidden meat, yeah. Um, so I did these pictures, and I don't know, that was just helped me. And then I, then I was just like, I'm only going to shoot myself in my apartment, and I, you know, shoved myself in cabinets and just did whatever I could do in my apartment. And that was more about like space for some reason. I don't know art school shit. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, I don't I'm know. not even being funny here, but like, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. But like, when I ask about like when the first time you you saw through the camera and uh-huh. saw someone, you started talking about you shot yourself for a year. So yeah. did, did you see yourself finally? Yeah, I, I think like everything's a self portrait, right? I do think even when I'm photographing you, it's it's how I see you. I don't think it's I don't think there's anything true to photography. I don't think it's accurate. Because you're setting it up and yeah, there is lighting and framing. And, and it's always filtered through me. You sure. know? So I'm like a filter and it's always how I see. And like you see one way, I see another way. And, or like a story. There's your story, my story, and the truth, right? Mm-hmm. The truth is not your story or my story. The truth is like this thing that exists outside of us that I can't photograph. I think people do. I think very good photographers who are storytellers and photojournalists are able to step back from that. I'm too involved in what I want from the picture for that to happen. 
interested in the truth, yes, interested in drawing from the truth and reacting to it and wanting to to use it. I think even a picture of mine, like maybe you've seen, it, it's like Kanye in the booth. He's got the yep. headphones on. Yeah, him. and the yeah, it's mm-hmm. staged. He wasn't in the booth. You know, I was like, I showed him a picture of Miles Davis, and I said, look at this. Look how real this is. I'm like, this is what I want from you. I want to act as if I walked in here. And you were in between takes, and you're like slightly annoyed that I'm opening the door, you know. And you and, did it, and it looks great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, but you wouldn't. You would look at it, and you would think like, oh, he was recording a record, sure. and not like he was in the, you know, he was in the engineering room two seconds earlier, and I was dragging him into the set. Yeah, the contact sheet is yeah. filled with all the rest yeah. of them, and yeah. then dragging him to another setup, and dragging him to another, and it was lit. You know, it was all very contrived. So, you know. Um, but this thing of like when I felt like I'd finally gotten some picture that I, uh, I don't really know. You know, I took some pictures of Slick Rick that were early on, like maybe 98, 99. And he'd just gotten out of jail. And I thought there was something to them. They were like at a hat store in Midtown right across from Times Square called mm-hmm. Knox Hats. And, and it was in a three-way mirror. And then there was, he was out in front. And there was like a picture of John Wayne in the background out of focus. Hmm. And I thought, like, wow, these these hip hop cats are like cowboys. You know what I mean? They're like urban cowboys, and they're like desperados, and they're you know troubadours. And like a good cowboy would have a guitar and sing by a campfire and like tell you the blues song. Like they were that. And I, I don't know. I just started to. It, that was a big one for me. Picture Rakim I took on the cover of Stress magazine. Um, that was your first cover, no? Yeah, that yeah. was a first cover of him. And then I did some work with Onyx, which was very real. It was the Shut 'Em Down record. And mm. those guys were just like, I just kept getting matched with really good people, kind of badass people or or storytelling kind of people. I, I don't know. I, like I said, I want to say I got lucky again, but I don't, I believe you make luck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was very persistent. I wanted to work for Vibe. Vibe was the shit. George Pitts had the best looking magazine. And no matter how I hit that door, he would be like, well, Clay. (laughs) And this guy passed away. He used to run Parsons Art School. He's a, many, many people got their career started by this dude. Beloved. I finally meet him and he says to me, do you know how to photograph black people? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, you have no black people in your portfolio. And it was true, right? I didn't know what to say about that. It just aggravated me. So, you know, I, I photographed some people and I come back to him. And no matter how I hit this door, he was not opening it. You know, it was like, you know what? I'm going to help this guy. I was just not like I had 10 foot pole marks all over me or something. This guy was not having me. And I was very persistent. So then I went to the source and I had some luck with the source. And that was a good magazine at the time. But then Double XL was like this redheaded stepchild to the game. And this cat named Don Morris, who I'm still in touch with, and this guy is, if there's anybody who, Don Morris, his assistant was Sally Berman, who hired me to shoot that picture, right? So this dude was the OG, you know, and he really, uh, we got along, you know? He was like, we played laser tag together you know what i mean we just like i would we do stupid things together all the time and he just kept calling me up and saying i got this you know black rob i got you to shoot him he's just you know he's just out of jail what, what do i need to know about him 
And I'd be like, well, what do you want? He'd say, just give me some dope photographs. <laughs> click, <laughs> click, and hang up the phone. And I'd be like, fuck, what are dope photographs? <laughs> like, what does that look like? There was no Google shit. You yeah. know, I couldn't like Google dope photo. I wonder if we Google dope photographs, what comes up. If it's dope. Right, right? yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put that as a hashtag on all my uh, websites. Dope pictures. photographs, yeah. 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 So did, what was your relationship with Elliot Wilson? Um, you know, he's the man behind the curtain, right? I knew he liked me or I wouldn't get invited back. He wasn't there yet. You know, it was a lot of other editors. He came in to kind of keep it as its power. I photographed him once. I, I think he liked me. We had, you know, cordial conversations, but, you know, it's professional. And I know he liked me because Don said, you know, Elliot's really feeling your stuff. Let's keep going. Because you think the photo editor... <laughs> is the one who's hiring you. But there's always an editor-in-chief, <laughs> and there's always a publisher, yeah. right? And if those people aren't feeling you, you're on the bench, yeah. right? And you're doing the front of the magazine. You're not going to do the features. You're not going to shoot the covers, right? You're going to be like, okay, let's keep them for the front of the magazine. Maybe we give them a feature once every few months. But I started shooting the whole book some months, you know? And Mannion was there shooting the whole book, like, with me, and there were some other great people, this guy, uh, Benoit. And, you know, we were... I think we were, Piotr Sikora was another great photographer, this Polish dude, um, he's nasty. And I think we were developing the aesthetic that's like, that all the kids are slavishly imitating today. Hey there. Yeah, you listening to A Waste of Time with It's The Real, sitting there in your car or on your iPod, your mini iPod, your Zune, Discman. I feel like you're talking Walkman. right to me. Eric listening yeah. on his seven devices. Wow. You feel seen? I what what do you want from me, Jeff? <laughs> I hey. Yes. Go to itsthrill.com and sign up for the newsletter. I okay, fine. Yeah. The newsletter is right there on itsthrill.com. Well let me very easy process. Pose you a question, Jeff. For me, what if mm-hmm. Yeah, the tables have turned. What if I've already signed up for the podcast? Then sign up a friend. Oh. That that was definitely thought out. Yeah. <laughs> what if what if you want to sign up uh, a former flame? You want to know what? Just put some email addresses that you know, <laughs> and then see if they if they don't unsubscribe, then we'll send you a, a gift or something. How cool would that be? Yeah. All right. So <laughs> it's thereal.com. Sign up an X. Yeah. Sign up your entire your, like you know how like uh, you can you can sign up you can send emails to um, your entire company. Yes. Put everybody on. Oh, I dare you. Put the entire company on. That would be great. Bring them on down. It's thereal.com. Sign up for that newsletter. Now back to Clay Patrick McBride. What was your first time meeting Eminem like? So I was so excited to shoot Marshall, and I'd seen so many beautiful, like, powerful pictures from as simple as the Clockwork Orange mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to David LaChapelle's Dynamite photograph. Yeah. Yep. And I don't think there's... He's today's Bob Dylan, you know? He is popularity-wise, through the roof. I think I knew Paul Rosenberg from, from Blessed Nation, too, at the time. Mm-hmm. And I went to Detroit at a great location. I know Detroit well from Kid Rock. I was shooting at this uh, Masonic Temple. Incredible place, like Illuminati kind of place, right? Many, many rooms and churches and dilapidated parts and epic and it also has a great venue in it that many you know the fat boys performed at you know back in the day really yeah yeah that's yeah. crazy yeah yeah um so dude won't talk to me <laughs> 
You know, like we get him his, you know, he wants some Mountain Dew, he wants some Taco Bell, we get him what he needs, the Taco Bell's got to be hot, <laughs> my crew's tight, we all have his shit there. And I would talk to him and I, I wanted to do this shot where he was had his hands on his face like Bob Dylan and he would just look at Paul Rosenberg and Paul Rosenberg would say, <laughs> Marshall's not going to do that. <laughs> And then I would be like, and so it was awkward, you know, like this, you know, and I met, I met Eminem backstage at Kid Rock and I didn't fanboy out on him, but I was like, dude, I have so much respect for your artistry. You know, you are like powerful, influential songwriter, you know, like I was trying to butter the toast and like we had to spend eight hours together shooting, like, like, let's have a rapport. If there's any like dude like a white dude in a black man's game, like that's me and Marshall, right? Like yeah, <laughs> we yeah, could at least yeah. bro down on that. Yeah, It was not cool. And I think <laughs> maybe it was a time where he was more medicated than others. Sure. And uh, maybe he just wasn't in the space for it. I know he hates Double XL, mm. right? He, he has dissed them. No, 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 that was the source. He hated the source. I think he hated Double XL too. Oh, damn. Maybe he's everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's fair to say. <laughs> yeah. And the sock puppet, right? Yeah. He's real mad at the sock yeah, yeah, puppet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to just say again that, that, that the Eminem thing yeah. was like when people are like, who was one of your hardest people to work with? I can't say he was hard to work with, but it was possibly one of the most disappointing. And I could say that about Tool too, like another band I'm incredibly insane. And that all my artwork was made at three in the morning listening to Tool. Like they were the carpet of my life. And when I met them, it was a similar circumstance where they just not going to play ball with me. And that's weird when you still have to be professional there. Sure. Because like now that I'm 50, I think I just walk off set and be like, fuck you. Mm -hmm. You know, I just don't have it in me anymore to be that guy that just rolls over and, and deals with it. You well, know? But, but because you're hired by, you know, an editor or, yeah. or whoever, like a photo yeah. editor. Do you feel like you are able to walk up? I mean, like, what happens no, in that I mean, situation? Like, I do believe that you got to burn bridges to light the way. You mm -hmm. know, I do believe in that sometimes. And you, you need to just... But every time I tell the world, you know, you're an asshole, which sometimes the world is an asshole, right? Every time I tell the world to fuck themselves, I really just fuck myself. And, you know, I've learned this the hard way, right? Um, I've turned some people off to me majorly, you know? Uh, and if you're listening, I'm sorry, you know who you are, right? But so I I, I got to restrain it, you know, because I'm a Sagittarius. We speak loosely, you know, mm -hmm. we don't think. And I mess up. I'm probably messing up on this podcast. Right? <laughs> um, so uh, how do you transition into sports well, covers then? Well, that was 99. I shot Allen Iverson's Soul on Ice cover. So here we are yeah. 20 years later. 20 years later. And that's an iconic photograph. It's, it's huge in the sneaker culture, which are two words that are very funny when they go together, right? <laughs> well, sneaker who culture, right? Who, who commissioned that photograph? That was Dennis Page, Don Morris from XXL. That was Harris Publications. Mm -hmm. And that was this guy named... Um, uh, so that, it was all their brainchild. Uh, I kind of knew who Iverson was a little bit. I, I saw the tape where he crossed over and faked out Jordan, made him look like an old man. I knew he was a badass. I knew that there was a murder involved. There was some trouble with a gun and his life. And to me, it was just like, all right, it's another badass guy. I got to make look badass and give him some dope photographs. I went to Philly. I waited 12 hours for this cat, 13 hours. Like he was not showing up. It was crazy. Um, but eventually he did show up. Was Russ Bankston part of this? I, I heard that Russ was, I don't remember Russ being there. Okay. I know Russ and Tony, the, the other editor-in-chief, was there. Um, and I, it's my recollection of it's cloudy. But yeah, I think 
I know that Russ was there from the history of it. When mm-hmm. I read about it, I know this guy Bruno Sloan was there, who's my assistant at the time, and I've lost touch with him. And I, if anybody knows Bruno Sloan, get him fucking in touch with me. If anybody <laughs> hears this, he was uh, he was my college buddy and uh, great kid. Um, I photographed that, and it was amazing. You know, like uh, the picture was huge, and I look at it now, I think. I know so much more about light and, you know, but there was something, there's still something, a real power to it there. And, and I didn't have no idea that we were making history, you know? What did the other photos look like in that set? Yeah, we got, I got some great pictures of him and his daughter before he had his hair combed out and she's wearing the Michelin Ness jersey. And this is why, another reason why it's so historic, it's like, you guys are like kind of historians, right? That Michelin Ness jersey had not become the, the craze that it was. So it was this cover, and I guess Puffy did a music awards where he wore a different one every time he came on stage. Might have been the VMAs. All right, yeah. So he hosted it, and and that was their their jump off, right? I think the picture came before the Puffy thing. Um, not sure. So we put that on the map, and the whole you know homage to Dr. J was beautiful, and the whole like Iverson and Philly relationship was beautiful. And I love this photograph, and in celebration of it, you know, I'm really leaning into it. I'm going to make this box set, collector set for the sneakerheads. It's going to have, you know, maybe five, ten collectible prints in it. A few of them will be autographed by Iverson. I've been talking to some great people in his camp about merchandise. I'm going to make some T-shirts. We're going to trade hostages. I'm going to give them some <laughs> photographs. Mm-hmm. They're going to give me some rights. It's That's just dope, like yeah. a hostage trade, <laughs> you know. So, but they've been really kind in dealing with me, and they're very fired up to get their hands on the images. Amazing. And, and they're even giving me a little percentage on anything they sell, which Super you, dope. and we're both going to credit each other on the shirts. So you'll be sure to lace up with them. So in in that moment, what is the attitude that you're getting from from him? Because he he couldn't be more hot, right? Yeah, and he couldn't yeah. have been more important to you know the nba at that point even if they didn't want him to be yeah it's the strike right when i look at the photo shoot i definitely got him to animate in a way like i shot all this wide angle shit when he's throwing me some yo with the fucking mystical hands towards my lens and stuff Mm -hmm. and his crazy long fingers distorted from the from the mystical like the rapper not mystical like you know magic magic, right no i mean magic hands no (laughs) i don't mean mystical was he holding like a deck of cards no but when i say magic hands i mean like as if he was summoning a spell Mm -hmm. right you know so he's like throwing his hands out like he's shooting rays of energy at me right yeah you know hip-hop hands yeah yeah right i invented that yeah yeah We're all on the same page here. <laughs> I invented hip-hop hands. That was yeah. No, I don't know. It'd be interesting who shot the first picture of hip-hop hands. Last past podcast I was on, I was like, I wonder what the first picture on Instagram was look like and if it's going to be in the MoMA someday. Sure. You know? Yeah. And the dude found the first picture on Instagram. Well, really? He showed it to me. It was like just a regular picture of some guy's dog or no. something like oh. that. Like I thought it was going to be like a girl doing duck lips. Like, you know, it's just like, right. Getting her angles. Yeah. 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 You know, that's what you teach at school, right? Yeah. Angles. That, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. That's what you find out when you angles. look for dope pics. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we talked about sneaker culture. There's someone who is just sort of synonymous with that. And that is uh friend to the room, DJ Clark Kent. Uh-huh. What is your history with, with Clark? So it's beautiful and tragic. Like, like me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, very early on for Slam Magazine, maybe a kicks issue, I photographed his sneaker collection. And I took this really boss photograph of him with all of his kicks. And 
eventually, and it was just another picture. I did my best job. I didn't know that it was what it was. I just showed up at his house in Long Island. Photograph- I also photographed him and his kids. I realized that was a part of my unique value proposition. Just like, I'm here for you. What else can I do for you? You got a good Christmas card? Like, let's shoot one, you know, the fam. And I guess Nike sees this picture. Nike realizes that Clark has sneakers, Nike don't. And Nike's going to do the Air Force One big push. So Clark actually gets a job through my photograph as a consultant. You guys might know more about this than I do. So I guess my picture helped him get a salary, maybe. That's dope. Yeah. So like to think that like a picture could do and contribute something like that. It wasn't me. Some other knucklehead would have taken that picture, right? Like it Mm -hmm. was just the the time and the place. So years later, I get back in touch with, with Clark and, uh, and he wants to see the rest of the shoot. So I get this MFA kid to scan about 10 rolls of film. You know, and it's like $25 an hour for this kid. It takes some time. It costs me. I tell him it's going to be 300 bucks. It ends up being 500 bucks. I tell him it's 500 bucks. Now Clark starts blowing me off, right? I've just paid this kid 500 bucks to scan this film. I'm a, I live on a teacher's salary, you know? I'm not a baller, right? Yeah. It's a lot of money to me, you know? In fact... Yeah, I don't even have to say a percentage, but it's a lot of money to me, right? Yeah. And I'm and I'm and he's like I'm texting him, I'm calling him, I'm emailing him. Nothing. So he got my Irish up, you know, and there's nothing I like more than some full of shit person that's coming at me in the business like, yo, you are a picture. That shit was history, man. You know, like it starts off like that, and then I wanna see the rest. What else you got? And I'm like, sure, you want to see the rest? I dig it out of the archive. And, and the dude's blowing me off. And it just I think it triggers something that's not just Clark. It's the business, you know? And it's part of the reason why I became a teacher. And you must hear a lot about people who are full of shit, you know? So I just start feeling like this dude's full of shit. And I start calling him out on it, you know? And I'm like, are you just another one of these fucking people that I don't want anything to do with in the music business? And he just wants nothing to do with me. So if anybody knows Clark or if Clark's listening... I regret my behavior. I apologize. I'm a knucklehead. I'm a work in progress. You just pushed a button in me that had nothing to do with you. And um, I hope we can bury the hatchet because uh, maybe you come to this artist talk I'm doing at the Morrison Hotel Gallery. There you April, go. April 13th, Dayton Thomas. Has he been That's on the show? Oh, yeah. he sure yeah. has. He's yeah, going to yeah. be leading the Q&A. Right on. And, you know, what's funny is I, I reached out to Russ and asked him to do it. He blew me off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or he waited till today to get back to me. So then I asked Dayton, and I'm like, oh, Russ. <laughs> so when people don't get back to me, mm-hmm. I get heated. I don't know if you get <laughs> well, like that, but... Yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, like, you know, obviously we're guys who have, you know, been on our own for... 12 years doing all this and and you must have had some people not get back to you oh, uh, oh yeah there's <laughs> been a couple the least of yeah. it yeah i like how people on the outside think how easy it is to uh-huh. like you know get who we get for for this or to um yeah. you know that we we do have a lot of connections and you know it's it's a lot of work to be put into that and a lot of people will let you down on that front and sometimes mm-hmm. and we're jewish sometimes we get our irish up like mm-hmm. you know it's it's, <laughs> a, it's a real thing yeah um what was it like for you to shoot metallica somebody that you grew up on yeah. and and be around them you know if you opened up my heart and looked inside you'd see a kill them all and a ride to lightning record i mean that was the stuff that really helped me as a misunderstood youth and um and so I worked with him a couple times and I became friendly with James and, you know, he got sober, I'm sober. We broke down on that majorly. I was actually, 
I eclipsed the filming of some kind of monster. So they were filming that movie as the, the first, yeah, yeah, the first time I worked with them, and I was filmed for the movie. I didn't make it in the movie, but Damn. I was the first photo shoot. My photo shoot with the band forced them to actually hire the bass player, right? Um, Robert. Yeah, Robert. Yeah. yeah. So Robert wasn't really an official member of the band, but they needed to be photographed, <laughs> and it was just going to be three people, and. They didn't like that idea. So there's a scene where he gets a million dollars for signing with them in the movie, and he's jumping on the bed. That's the night before my photo shoot. So I, I get to work with them on this day where they're very enthusiastic and happy, Yeah. right? And it was a great day, and I was at Metallica HQ in San Francisco. And I don't even know if I took a fucking good picture that day because <laughs> I was just so happy to shoot Metallica, you know? And I didn't even bring a good photo assistant. I just brought my friend Derek from rehab to bro down with me and be like, dude, we're yeah. shooting Metallica. Can you drive? Because I'm so nervous, I'll crash the car. And and so we go, we, you know, we have a great time. At the end of it, I shoot some picture of of James and his wife and his kids, because they showed up to take him home. And and he was and they all sat down and they're just a beautiful family and his kids are really small. And he goes, Okay, everybody, Spider-Man hands. And they all kind of throw up the devil's horns, right? <laughs> and you know, the whole family's there and I, I take this picture and I didn't know this picture would become through this picture would become a relationship. I had a friend for life, you know? Um, and so we stayed in touch. He would come in town and tour and I would go see the show and we'd hang out and it was great. But in Bonnaroo, I photographed them and, and they're headlining the Saturday night show. And I have a great photo shoot with them at this beautiful Hermitage hotel. And then I roll to the venue and we're at the venue Backstage in their green room, I'm eating like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with my hero, man crush, James Hatfield. And I'm watching all these other people try to get five minutes of Metallica's time, you know? And they're just, you know, no, not not now, maybe maybe after the show, you know? I'm watching the publicists run all this interference and, and I see the Olsen twins show up, right? <laughs> and the Olsen twins come to their green room, yeah. And they like look around and they, and they get their kids with them and stuff. You know, these are men, you know, and they have their wives and the Olsen twins are kind of bored by the shenanigans going on or the lack of shenanigans. Yeah. Well, by the way, uh, to be fair, the Olsen twins are bored by everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're like, where's Jack White? <laughs> we want to see the recontours. And I'm like, oh yeah, they're right over there. And uh, yeah, um, it was, yeah. <laughs> I didn't wake up that day thinking I would be giving the Olsen <laughs> twins directions. Well, actually, by the way, the Olsen twins spent a lot of time in San Francisco because they were on Full House. Oh, true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so they must have grown up with Metallica, <laughs> their neighbors. But they were talking to me for a while, and I think they thought I was maybe in Metallica. You like, could have been the You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. They didn't really know. and uh, So that was magn magnificent. And then what was incredible is like their publicist, who I'm friendly with, Metallica's purposes. Yeah. yeah. Got not the Olsen twins. Not, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Um, so they got me good access, stage access, uh, for the show to photograph it. And so I'm out there shooting the show and the whole set, right? Not just three songs and you're done, right? Which could be a good book, right? Three, three songs and out, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because that's what most photographers get. And... I'm shooting the whole show and I'm, 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 you know, getting some good pictures. And then I'm sitting on dr Lund's, Lars's drum riser, and I'm watching his foot pedal. And I'm, and I start hearing all this concussion and pyro and like it's really arcing. And I'm like, whoa. And I look down at the set list and I see 
they're close to the last song. And, and I'm like, oh my God, they're gonna bow. And it's gonna be this incredible thing. Um, and I'm gonna stand behind them and I'm gonna get this picture and it's gonna be like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's gonna be Bonnaroo, you know, 2004, Clay Patrick McBride, Metallica. So I'm out there, I'm behind them, they're about to bow, but there's some stuff wrong. They're like not standing close enough together. They're not putting their arms around each other. I'm taking some pictures. I'm looking at my sensor. It looks all, it's, it's bad. It's like C minus. It's like, it's awful. And mad frustrated. Um, and I keep kneeling down, taking another picture, taking another picture. I'm waiting for them to get closer. The light's not right. The audience is too far away. The picture sucks. And I'm pissed. I'm not like getting red with anger. And, uh, fuming and then I stop and I take a minute and I put the camera down and I just look and I look at like 50,000 people and my favorite rock band of all time possibly the greatest heavy rock band of all time and then there's me and I think how the hell did I get here you know like I, I still get goosebumps when I tell the story it's like you know, and, and it occurred to me that I got there the same way they did. You know, I did something I love with discipline and perseverance for over 20 years, you know. And, and there I was sharing the stage with Metallica. And it wasn't at all about the picture. And I thank God that I was into at least some mindfulness practice, you know, with meditation and, and just being present. Because so much of my life I've not been present for. I think even the Iverson shoot, I don't know if I was present, you know. So in my head. I just directed a music video yesterday. I think I did a reasonably good job, but I wish I could have been more present. I was just spread too thin. And and my mind racing and just being dragged around by this caveman of my mind. So, you know, I have those pictures of Metallica and I look at them because they just... To me, I need to like let go of judgment sometimes, you know? Judgment is just the, the doom slayer of my mind. For know? sure. Well, also, so. like, you know, you're somebody who um, you really like staging a photograph. Mm -hmm. And are there any times when you've sort of happened into a photograph as opposed to yeah, it know, like being like in your control? Great question. Yeah. I think that there's picture makers and mm -hmm. picture takers, mm -hmm. right? And they're different people. And that person who's the photojournalist who's like all about truth, mm -hmm. they're a picture maker, you know? I'm a picture taker. I direct and contrive things. So I've definitely gotten lucky, you know, some live shots where, you know, Kid Rock walks through the light just in the perfect way. I got a moment of T.I. where he was just laughing for a second off camera, you know, that I just kept shooting, you know? Uh, I got a picture of Green Day once where they were in the back of their publicist car and they were just driving from one location to another and all I did was turn around and snap a couple frames and you know the drummer leaned forward and it just boom so yeah like I think as, if you're a young photographer and you listen to this like just keep shooting you know sometimes in between shots the greatest thing that the magic will happen you what know? do you uh remember about the was it a rolling stone cover with the red hot chili peppers Oh, that was for Revolver Magazine. Oh, Revolver. Yeah, I was present for that one. What makes me present is really good crew, right? Not that I didn't have a good crew yesterday. I was just nervous. Uh, um, but in that job, I worked with this kid, Benny Haber. He, he's awesome. And he um, he just locked it down. And there's this crew of guys in L.A. called the OTMFC. One tight motherfucking crew, <laughs> right? And these are like tattooed, dirty fucking 
rock and roll guys that just show up on your shoot and they just hold it down mm. and they built a business on it, you know? And they have these big, beautiful trucks with skulls and crossbones on them and they're just the shit, you know? They are the shit. And so I was working with Betty, who's a part of that crew, and and I was all set up. We're at the Chateau Mamont, you know, and actually we were able to find replicas. The actual the actual costumes that the Beatles wore for the cover of Sgt. Pepper's were destroyed, but they built replicas just like them, and we got them, and we photographed them in them, and they were just into it. These guys were into it, you know. I thought Flea would be a little bit more... Animated. Just like charming. <laughs> yeah. And he was a little bit standoffish. Anthony, so nice. Um, Chad. Ch- yeah, John Fashante, Chad. is Just so nice, so nice. Anthony was charming. They were all drinking yerba mate tea. <laughs> like pounding it and they had like a roadie that was just that was his job to make them yerba mate tea that's the first time i've ever heard anybody pounding yerba mate tea i mean pounding it like non-stop and they're like it's dietetic (laughs) and they're like argentinian cowboys drink it they were like selling me on it i was like okay so it's cool yeah they had like special like cauldrons to brew it in and mixers and you know hot pots and fucking prison hot plates and (laughs) you know did you have any I did. I had some. Yeah. yeah. With ginger in it. It was good. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But you, you weren't like turned on to the lifestyle of... I, I didn't stop eating or anything. Yeah. yeah you're not an Argentinian cowboy. I wasn't <laughs> skinny like, you know, like Anthony. He's so so, so these replicas, did you have to like take them to tailors? Like how did they... No, they just, they just, they just fit. fit. They just fit. <laughs> yeah. You know, those guys are all regular size guys. Fleet's, Fleet's yeah, a little small, but... Yeah. But I mean, like there's like height issues and... Yeah. <laughs> it just worked. Like right? what is a regular size guy? Does being in those costumes take them to a different place? Um, well, talk about a band full of life. You know, the Chili Peppers are that, you know, they are performers in every way. So with or without the costumes, they're the Chili Peppers. Mm. They're going to bring it, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's how can you not take a good picture of the Chili Peppers? Fish it's, in the Barrel is one of my favorite bands. Yeah, yeah, they're great. They're great. Love to shoot yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you is that really a band? No, 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 no. <laughs> should be. When you when you shot, I was looking at your photographs earlier today uh, on your website, and there's a beautiful one of our friends, the Locks, uh-huh. and the composition is just so perfect. You know, Jadakiss in the front, yeah. leaning right. You have good taste. Yeah, this is one of my favorite pictures. Oh, too. Please, yeah. So that's a Polaroid negative. I shoot it with an old accordion-style Polaroid uh, camera and used to be able to get this film that you would peel apart. It would have this negative. Everyone loved it. So um, that shoot was crazy because... It I was got the a, locks. It was yeah. the locks. But they <laughs> yeah. were chill. Yeah. You know, they were professionals. They came on time. They, it was on. It was like a midtown on a roof, and I got a trampoline. And we, <laughs> we had them jumping on this trampoline. I swear to God, the locks jumping on a trampoline. And... And then we made the skitty city skyline were all gun barrels instead of buildings. Buildings, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it was all these rifles. And, I mean, these dudes, my assistant, this kid Mark Pilaro, was, like, showing them how to jump on the trampoline. And this kid, he was, like, 17. He got some air, like, serious air. We're watching him. Everyone's like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> He's flying in the air. And then he kind of goes a little bit off, and he lands with his legs spread onto a spring and just stops. Nope. Right? Like his crotch mm-hmm. banged. Nope. Right? Like, and just <laughs> from all this momentum to nope. just stopping. And everyone was like, whoa. <laughs> and he was just like, ah. <laughs> it was amazing. It was, I'll never forget that. But they actually jumped. Like, you could not get them to do that again. You wow. know, there was no way they would do When you meet people early in their career, it's, 
when you get in on the ground floor, it's awesome because people are willing to do whatever, yeah. right? And that would be my other bit of advice. I mean, you probably have some people who want to be, you know, hip hop photographers or sure. music photographers. And I told my other assistant, his name was Mike Beyer, and he went by the name Cracker Farm. Mm -hmm. And he worked <laughs> with his wife at the time, Lindsay. And I said, you want to be a music photographer? I said, go meet the best band playing at the smallest bar and become like the fourth, fifth member, become the Ricky Powell mm -hmm. of that band and just whatever, just become a member of that band visually. And he did that with the Avid Brothers and he did it with uh, Regina Spector and Langhorn Slim, which wow. have all gone on to have great careers. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and he lives in Nashville and he owns real estate and his career has somehow eclipsed mine, at least financially. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> but he's never co-headlined. That's right, with Jonathan Mannion. Jonathan Mannion. Um, what happens to photos when they're not picked for different yeah. projects? You know, like... Dig it in the crates. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah. Do, you, do you have like all these contact sheets or... Yeah, this picture of Locks, I do have somewhere. Um, I just have a print of it because it was a digital file made by a composite guy who I've lost touch with or I don't think he has it, but... Um, I have a crazy archive. I've been going through it a lot and posting a lot of it, sometimes just to my stories where it evaporates, you know? Um, I do have archive section on my website, but um, Instagram's a place I find it. But I'm really hoping that as an older man, you know, in my 80s or 90s, that some Getty or somebody's gonna come to me and be like, we need this. You know, you have this part of history of 90s hip hop, of, of 2000s hip hop that we need to be a part of. So I'm hoping that's my pipe dream that that happens. I don't know if it's gonna happen, but, and I don't know that the world needs to see every single picture. Mm. You know, it's like my job a little bit to be the curator of my archive because I've taken a lot of shitty pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with the advent of like technology, um, with everything that's moved forward, you know, do you miss? the idea of like waiting for your photographs to be like developed or yeah. is it like when you're in the moment and you're like oh i can just look just look down and see the preview of it this is a good question um there's a writing and and, and it's like 10 principles for teaching and it says one of them says there's a time to create and a time to judge and they shouldn't be the same time and i think I, it's a bird song yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I agree with it man because it's like I see my students do it. They're shooting and they're looking and they're like, fuck, fuck. It's like that thing that happened with Metallica with me, you know? It's right there. And yeah, so I do believe there should be some separation between your creative process and seeing this stuff. And I still shoot film. Mm -hmm. I do. I shot film yesterday. Um, and I shot a video in one take yesterday, right? One thing about um, a music video, right? So one thing about the digital is it gives you unlimited resources. So you don't care as much. And to me, it's like, no, I want to care. You know, I want to just do it once and once is perfect and that's it, right? So um, I definitely miss it. And when things went digital, it was like a death for me. I lost my dog, I got divorced. Everything happened at once. And the world went digital and I lost my space to live and it was all- It didn't happen up. because it went digital, right? <laughs> I just want to be clear. I think it might have been part of it. Because you know? the world went digital and my life just fell apart. Yeah. <laughs> There's a uh, photo that you have of Fat Joe by, I don't know if he threw it up, you know, yeah, um, but it says crack. It's 100% Joey Crack did Terror Squad. That's at Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. Is that the one that the Mass Appeal cover or? Nope, that's a different one. Uh, uh, he, I had a run, a Fat Joe run where I shot him for many publications. Uh, he was really, he was still fat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Do you think you guys just connected or? No, I was just hot at that time, and he was hot. Mm -hmm. So we were just, 
like there together. Um, but Terror Squad, it's like, yeah, Clay Patrick, Rick Bride, Terror Squad seems like a good match. Right? So w- what radiated off of Fat Joe, do you think? He's a boss, right? You know, he's a quiet, smooth boss. He's, he's powerful and doesn't have to announce it. You know, he just has the air of he's the real deal. You know, like I, I don't, I'm not 100% even familiar with a lot of the dudes I photograph, but I've been in the room with a lot of legends and I could tell if someone's all front and no back, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's definitely front and back, the real deal. So, okay. So and that's just my perception of, of star power. You so know? we were telling you before we started recording that we started off doing sketches like SNL type stuff with, yeah. with people like Bun B and people like Mano and people like Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. The clips and, and all these people like, and when we did that, our purpose was to humanize them. Yep. Um, this wasn't a label directive. This wasn't like, this was them entering our world. So we gave them more personality. You can see like the other side of the coin. Yep. For you, are you going into this with a TI, with a J, with a Fat Joe? They're all bosses in their own right. Mm-hmm. When you and Eminem, are you looking for those moments that are more humanizing or are you playing into the thing where you're like, I'm going to make them more of a legend and more of a boss? Yeah, I think I want to photograph them in their highest self. You know, like I want to celebrate the image that they are. I'm not there to reinvent them. I think David LaChapelle is an incredible photographer and he's the exact opposite of where I operate. You know, he's going to take Eminem and get him naked and, and, and photograph the slim shady character that doesn't exist anymore. Right. You know, like he's going to do that thing. And, and I wonder like the conversation when he photographed Tupac as a slave, right? Like, what was that like? Like, Hey Pac, I got a great idea. I'm going to photograph you picking cotton and there's going to be a donkey and a woman and a kid in the background. Right. That photograph and maybe like one of the Michael Levine's like Biggie in the cemetery photographs. I think that's an epic photograph. Mm. Um, as far as my favorite hip hop photographs, but so I'm not going to do that to, to people. Like I think, unless it's what they want, like Ari the Rugged Man, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he wants to be photographed at the, his lowest self, you yeah. know, with a girl over his shoulder smacking her on the butt, you right. know, like <laughs> like he wants that. He wants to go with that. He wants to lean into that. So that's what. What I is mean. it like to shoot a little Kim? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that was it at the height yeah. of little Kim. Yeah, that was incredible. I, to me, it's like, why am I shooting a chick? Right, like I'm just not a, and I'm sorry to use the word chick, but I'm a dude photographer. You know, you look at my, you look at my work. It's like heavily male, and and that's mostly because I don't want to sit around for hair, makeup, styling for hours. And there's this pressure to take a beautiful picture, which to me is like a real box I don't want to put into. You know, when I shoot dudes, it's like you have. It feels like you got more room. You know, more left and right. So. This guy, Don Morris, is still just like adamant that I'm going to shoot Little Kim, right? So I'm like, all right. And I, again, I hire like this fashion photographer guy, assistant, who knows how to light. So I feel like my back is good. And, you know, mm-hmm. Joel Stance, and he's gone on to have a great career as a still life. And, and this other woman named Tracy Sham, who worked with me, she was my art school homie. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Tracy, who's got kids in Jersey and takes awesome pictures. Um, so they were like with me and we, we went to the time hotel mm-hmm. in Times Square. Yep. We were shooting, we got kicked out. <laughs> we had all of our stuff back to the street. We had Wait, the load. Why'd you get kicked out? Because they're not allowed to do photo shoots. You need to speak to the publicist. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. So we're booted out of the hotel. 
We're on the street. We're waiting for a pickup. Where Kim makes a couple calls. Kim got reach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're back up into the hotel, right? Um, she shows up, sweet as can be, right? Just like, and I used to see her years later. She had management on Twenty Second Street when mm -hmm. I had my loft on Twenty Second Street, and she'd roll up in like you know her Escalade, and she'd be like, "Hey," she'd just like screaming me out the window, like, "Hey," and I'd be like. Kim? She's like, yeah. I'd be like, oh my God. And she'd come, I'd come over and talk to her. She'd be like, those pictures are my favorite pictures ever taken. So um, she shows up. She lays on the bed. Her head's upside down off the bed. And this woman starts with an airbrush, right? Like painting her face like for a long time. But Kim's just laid out on the bed with her <laughs> head kind of off the edge of the bed and getting painted up. And then... Uh, it eats up. She wants to be shot with Playboy bunny ears. This is really important to her, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And we shoot her in this rock and roll outfit. It's awesome. I'm doing what I can. I don't know that I'm the best photographer for the situation, but I'm like, hell, this is fun. And then we go upstairs, and there's a hot tub, and she has a blue wig now, and we fill it up with bubble bath. And um, I get to, somewhere there's tape of this, I get to lube up little Kim. And, sure and and oil her wow right and you don't uh -huh. like when you photograph females gotcha okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was unusual i was like can i help you with that and now she's in the tub and she's got these bubble bath and um the blue wig and and we're all set up and i watch one of my lights slowly start to fall down like it was just on a on a boom arm right and it's and i just catch it and kind of swing it out of the way and i say you know we have to reset this light kim and but I almost was that photographer that killed little Kim. Right, right. Because <laughs> there's so much electricity in these lights, it would have fried her. She would have been like the bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, right. But then like years later, I don't even know if it's years later or immediately, but she sings a couple lyrics about, you know, look at me in the aquamarine, go get your Vaseline. Wow. Yeah. This is how it goes, yeah. right? Yeah. And to all my homeboys in jail... <laughs> Spanking off to my pictures in double XL. Yeah. So I'm kind of like a, to be a part of hip hop culture like that. Yeah. Is, that's that's street cred. You well, know. Yeah. Oh wait, can we talk about street cred? Sure. Yes. Uh, this you'll appreciate. Yeah. This. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You obviously the right people to talk about street cred are that's us right. three. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> um. So you know, I'm clean and sober. One mm -hmm. thing I do is I would bring a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous into Rikers Island, and I would bring it into the juvenile ward. And I would bring it to this room of kids that none of them wanted to hear anything about sobriety. Even though most of them were there for drug-related problems, none of them are ready to hear about the help they, they might need. Mm -hmm. But any fucking way, I'm there. Because <laughs> I don't, you know, because it could have been me. Like, I could be one of those people, right? Sure, yeah. I could be in prison, right? If I didn't have the enablers and the lawyer and the reach that my old man had, right? Right, right. John Strong. <laughs> Shout out to John Strong. <laughs> so um, I'm in there one day, and I'm I'm in this little room, and and this the conditions there are terrible. Like it's an open room, bunk beds, almost like a small gymnasium sort of situation. And uh, there's this little like day room, and I'm in it. And there's some kids; they're all walking in and out of the meeting. Nobody's listening to me. There's a shower. Kids are going to the shower and walking out of the shower. And in the middle of me, kind of like telling my story to these kids, one of them says. No, you that dude, you that fucking dude, you that dude from the dip set. Yo, I saw you on the Joel Santana. Oh, what the uh, game bonus missing? footage, right? Uh -huh. That what the game video? What, what was it? What the game's been missing? Yeah, so it had bonus footage of my photo shoot 
inside the CD. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, wait, wait, wait. I swear to God, I didn't even think. Wait, so you shot the cover for Joel's yes. What the Games Are Missing with the the chess? Chess. I swear to God, I didn't even know this. I was there and I shot that footage. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> I shot that footage. You have it somewhere? I, I did. Okay, right. Big on. Joe. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The wheat paste, the whole shit. We did it. Yeah. yeah, I was I was the videographer. <laughs> Def Jam hired me, and I was up on that shoot up there in Harlem. Harlem, yeah, yeah. That the whole record shoot. store, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I ran one. around with you. Did you go to the studio later where you had all the guns? No, no. Okay. <laughs> right on. He started pulling out the guns. Take a picture of me like this. Take a picture of me like Wait, this. Wait, so is this street credibility right here? Yeah, that is. That is. Uh huh. We made this shit. Yeah. Uh huh. Wow. So yeah, that's beautiful. Um, small world. Yeah. No kidding. Um. So then I'm like puffing up because this kid's gassing me up like, yo, you're that dude, you're that, you're that dude, that photographer dude from, you down with Dipset, yo, yo, this dude. And he starts announcing it and like goes into the other room where there's the big community of people and like, yo, Dipset's in the house, man, the photographer's here and everybody. And I'm feeling really proud of myself, right? And I'm like, oh my God, this is my career. This is my 15 minutes of fame. Is it Rikers Island in the juvenile <laughs> ward? Like, <laughs> this is, you know, <laughs> it was sad and beautiful at the same time, yeah. you know? Um, <laughs> a, a different type of street cred is the famous and late motorcycle legend, oh, um, yeah. Indian Larry. Indian Larry, yeah. So, um, I became very influenced by photojournalism. I mentioned that through this guy, Eddie Adams, and he had a workshop. I started doing all this work at the workshop. And I started seeing these guys do photo stories, long-term photo projects about whatever. It could be a cancer survivor. It could be, you know, a local paper boy. You know, everybody has a story. You know, everybody's story is valid and worth telling. And I thought to myself, like, who's doing, who do I know that's doing something important? And Indian Larry was this notorious kind of like the Michelangelo of Williamsburg, you know? He made choppers. He was a part of like the sideshow in Coney Island. He married this woman named Bambi, who was the queen of the mermaid parade, mm -hmm. right? So he's like this renaissance man of, you know, the punk rock outlaw world that I kind of admire. And he was very approachable. Uh, and he worked with a great photographer, this guy named Timothy White, who shot Harrison Ford, and they all rode motorcycles together. And I'm like a poser because I don't have a motorcycle, <laughs> right? And I wear like motorcycle jackets and gloves. And, you know, Wait, that might I, be the most shocking thing of all of this. Yeah, this entire conversation, yeah. you don't ride motorcycles. I don't. And that's because when I was a little kid, my father brought me to see a client. And he was getting his, he lost his leg. Wow. And when we visited him, he um, was having the dressing changed on that leg. Wow. Mm. And I was maybe 10. And I saw this thing that looked like hamburger. Yeah. That was his leg. And uh, I'll never forget it. And my dad just put it in me that those things will destroy your legs. If you survive, you'll be, you know, in a wheelchair. And he just hammered it into my head. So I feel like in honor of my dad, I can never run a motorcycle, mm. at least on the street. I can yeah. run one on dirt. And I've done that. But. Anyway, so I don't have a motorcycle. I have great admiration for them, and my wife would love it if I got a Ducati, and like <laughs> she would fall in love with me all over. Is she a big got, Rough Riders uh, fan? Yeah. No, you got her the Nas thing. That's good <laughs> yeah. enough. Like that's that's she really does nice. like the Rough Riders. Yeah. Uh, how can you not like TMX? <laughs> yeah. Um, so back to Indian okay. Larry, though. So I start. I I approach him. I said, "Can I photograph you?" And he could have said no. He's at the height of his popularity. He was on. Um, he was on the Discovery Channel for those biker build-offs. He had a huge cult following. 
And he could have just, if they were filming at his Brooklyn shop in Williamsburg all the time, he could have just said, no, Clay, I'm too busy. Yeah. But he said yes. And I started to just show up at his shop and photograph him. And he was working on this bike called the Chain of Mystery. It ended up that it was going to North Carolina or Virginia, somewhere down south, and they were going to unveil, and the kids were going to all vote on who had the best bike. And I felt kind of committed because I had photographed the making of this bike to going down there. But I looked at flights. It was too expensive. I had the studio manager at the time. I hated her. She was a terrible person. But she actually did the, one of the greatest things for me ever. And that's what's funny about life. It's like even people who come into your life and create a great deal of static sometimes guide you, right? So mm -hmm. this girl like created a lot of problems in my life, but she also found me a cheap ticket, found me a cheap rental car, and sent me down there. And mostly because she didn't like when I was around the studio. So she, <laughs> she could like, you know, sit on Facebook all day. <laughs> so I'm down there and I just show up and I start photographing him at this convention. And he's like, Clay, what are you kind of like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, ah, I'm here to photograph you. And it's so weird because Timothy White was he's a legendary photographer and he would have always just left when I showed up. Oh, you just met Timothy. And that's exactly what happened down here. He just left. I showed up. And he wouldn't have liked me, probably, photographing his, you know, sometimes people are protective of their subject matter, yeah. right? Um, so I start shooting him. And then one day he's doing these stunts. He's doing some stunts for some people. And he falls off the bike and dies. And uh, he didn't die at the time. He was unconscious. But when he fell off the bike, I kind of had to step in and take this picture of him that I'd never taken before, you know? It's like, whew, talking about picture makers, picture takers, and so here's a guy that's getting put onto a stretcher with a neck brace, and paramedics are all over him. Bambi is crying. I have to take a picture of her crying. I have to take a picture of him being put on the wheelchair. I have to take these pictures because it's my duty to him and the story that I've never taken before, that I never want to take again. Like, I never want to be in a position where I have to, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I understand it. I have so much respect for any conflict photographer or the people who went down to the World Trade and photographed the people down there. Like, but I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to hold that space. I don't want to stick my head in that lion's mouth. You know, no, you know. So, I, and then he passes away and uh, I end up photographing him making the last bike he ever made, the Chain of Mystery, mm. you know, and I'm a part of, that and it just reminds me that you have to, you know, and and I'm reminding myself right now that you have to photograph what you love and what's important to you, whatever that is, you know. So it's my wife a lot, it's my dog a lot, it's my students, you know. I'm a professor now, yeah, and I photograph them a lot. And every year I photograph my class. I call them bricks, right? <laughs> Pictures are bricks, right? A whole lot of bricks are your contribution to this world, your legacy, you know, and. Um, I'm planting a lot of seeds, you know. I give all my students acorns, you know, the seed, the mighty oak, great symbol of, of symbols are how we understand our relationship to the universe, you know. So, yeah, that's all rad, and, and God bless it, Larry, you know. he um, And I'm good friends with this guy, Paul Cox, who studied underneath him, who suddenly moved to Port Jervis and has a huge shop there. So I'm looking forward to going and see Paul and, and keeping that story going in some sort of way. What do you think separates you from other photographers? What is it that you're most proud of that you bring to the table? Ooh, I think that's a great question. Um, I always talk about that even with my studios, you know, and with my students. It's unique value proposition, right? That's what we nerd out and call it in business and in school, you know. 
Um, I think I've seen a great deal of life, you know? That when I look at you, I'm not looking at you, I'm seeing through a great history, you know, of beautiful things, of tragic things. Um, so again, it's my filter, you know, it's my spirit, it's my personality. And I, I think what's special about me is that I really invite the universe to operate through me when I shoot. I don't try to own it. Creativity is not something I own. Creativity is everywhere. I just try to open the window and let it come through my head and eyes and shine through me, you know. My best lectures in school, my best pictures, I have a vague memory of, but it was like something was coming through me, you know, a channel, right? So I, I just try to keep that channel open. Martha Graham talks about a channel and a channel that's unique to who she is or who the artist is. Um, and I think there's always like a restless, uncomfortable feeling of not being happy with the work, you know, that I've always wanted to be more and better. And even today, as I sit here, I think about what I shot yesterday. And like a player that watches the tape after the game, I watch the tape, you know, and I think like, wow, even coming here, I was like, God, I just hope I'm mindful in my speech and I don't put anything out there into this, you know, universe that I don't want to say right now. You know, like I, I've made some mistakes. I've given some terrible interviews and said some stupid things, you know. So it's always good, better, best. I will not rest till my good is better, my better best. Like that's my silly little mantra. But I heard that from this cat named John White and, and that's the shit, you know. Especially in this day and age where a lot of things just come and go, you know? A lot of things like Snapchat or mm -hmm. Instagram story will just put something out there. They will erase it after a day. Things don't last. Mm -hmm. Your images last and, I mean, clearly are, are treasured yeah. and hang on people's walls mm -hmm. and that is special and real and we appreciate that and we appreciate you. And, you know, for someone who aimed to get his, his shit hung in Tower Records, I don't know if there's a Tower Records Instagram, but maybe you can like sort of claim that and put that on, out there and, and just keep doing it. And thank you for stopping by. Thank you for everything. And thank you for your artistry. And, and congratulations on everything. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of A Waste Time with It's The Real Jeff. People want to find out more about us. I'm Eric, your Jeff. Curly hair and glasses together. Here, it's The Real. If people want to find out more about this podcast, it's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. If people want to find out more about this newsletter, about what's going on with us, about where we're going to be touring, hopefully Oklahoma City. Jeff, where can they go? You can always go to itstherial.com. Sign up for that newsletter. The one that we talked about in the beginning of the podcast and the middle of the podcast and right here, right now. Right now, itstherial.com. Go get that newsletter. Go to itstherial.com slash shop for all of our merch. Yeah. You can also find all of our old episodes and our new ones. If you go to iTunes, search for It's The Real. You can also go to Spotify. You can go to soundcloud.com slash waste time. You can go to Tidal, I think. Yeah, try try, try Tidal. Why Tell not? us if you're there or not. Life is short. Spend it on Tidal searching for It's The Real. Apple Music, your podcast app, CastBox, whatever you use, we're People there. love CastBox. Go Google us. It's the real, no apostrophe, no spaces. YouTube.com slash it's the real. Twitter at it's the real. Facebook at it's the real. And Instagram at it's the real. Jeff, we asked people today to go to iTunes if they use iTunes and subscribe, rate, and most importantly, leave a review about a waste of time with it's the real. 
and we would shout them out. And now is the time to do it. So, who are we shouting out? I want to shout out Creative Bully and Stone El Terrible from the Forget That Yo podcast out of DC. Shout out to them down there. Who sent much love and also wrote a great review. I also want to shout out the So What's the Scenario hip hop card game. All right. I'm into it. 90 scenario cards, 90 artist cards, 36 action cards, and two battle dice. They're located everywhere, they said. All right. Shout out to them. I also want to shout out Tyler B305. Possibly from Miami? Don't know. He said he wrote a big-ass review, but then he hit send, and now he can't find it. Damn. Well, I'm, I'm going to trust that he did leave that review. Also, Courtney Patterson said that he had already written a review, but he wants to check in anyway, so shouts to him. Definitely. I also want to shout out Jason Covington who said these guys have a pretty cool and unique perspective into the hip-hop scene. Probably the coolest white guys out there besides Justin Timberlake. Okay. And maybe Andy Samberg. Agreed. Okay, they're like the 57 and 58 coolest white guys. 57 to 58? Their podcast is dope. Can you go it. back in there and edit it? What, to, what, what, what number would you want? The 30s somewhere. Yeah, somewhere in the 30s. I, I would think so. We'll take that. Who do you think they were cooler than? We don't want to start this conversation. Who else we shouting? That's it. That's it? Yeah. Jeff, as always, not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys next week. Right.